Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 11 uh, as we continue through our series called Milk and Honey. We're talking about the substance and the sweetness of the story of the Bible. We tend to read the scriptures and we lose the forest for the trees, if you will. We look at the stories in the Bible and we kind of lose sight on the great story that is the Bible. We've kind of divided it up into a three part kind of movement that is the story of the Bible. It's creation and commission. It is rebellion and redemption. And then it is recreation and commission. The funny thing about the the story of the Bible and breaking it up this way is that the first half happens in the first three chapters of the book. By Genesis chapter 3, we've already seen creation, commission, and rebellion, and for almost the rest of the scriptures, we are seeing God's great plan of redeeming humanity out of their fallenness and brokenness back into relationship with God. And we've seen that God's plan for redemption is through empowering humans and empowering individuals. We see that as he chose Abraham, and then he chose the descendants of Isaac and Jacob, and then we ultimately see as he chose Moses to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt to uh, the base of Mount Sinai, and then through the wilderness, and ultimately to the edge of the promised land. Last week, we talked about kind of the rhythm of God's relationship between Israel uh, and himself through the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And we talked about the idea that sometimes the long way is the best way. But now we're here, and we're on the, the edge of the promised land, and Israel is going to take the land that God promised to them all those years ago. And before we dive into Joshua chapter, chapter 11, let me just kind of fill you in with what's happened. There's this really funny story that happens with Moses and God and the Israelites. Uh, Moses is told uh, by God that God is going to do a miracle to provide water for the Israelites. And Moses kind of in an act of frustration, he strikes a rock and God performs this miracle. But in his frustration, uh, God actually tells Moses that because of this act, Moses will not enter into the promised land. So Moses is going to die before he goes into the promised land. But his successor, Joshua, is going to be the one who leads God's people from the wilderness ultimately into the promised land. And we're told that the act of of, uh, conquering this land is going to be difficult and it's going to be a long process. And so over the next several years, Joshua is leading the people of Israel by the empowering spirit of God into the promised land to physically conquer land from enemies. So that's kind of what's taken place. In Joshua chapter 11, we see that uh, the main cities have been conquered by the Israelites. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Does that sound fun? Joshua took Joshua 11, 12 through 15. Joshua took all these royal cities and their kings 
and put them to the sword. He totally destroyed them. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded, yet Israel did not burn any of the cities uh, built on their mounds except for Hazar, which Joshua burned. The Israelites carried off for themselves all the plunder and livestock of the cities, but all of the people they put to the sword until they completely destroyed them, not sparing anyone that breathed. Sheesh. As the Lord commanded his servant Moses, so Moses commanded Joshua, and Joshua did it. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we look at your word tonight, that it would come alive. Lord, we believe that the word of God is living and breathing. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It has the power to cut through bone and marrow and soul and spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that it would do that tonight. Lord, that this ancient book and ancient story of some faraway place, Lord, would you draw it close to us? Because it's important to you. And in your word, Lord, we can find you. And so we ask that you would be found tonight or that you'd speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here's the story. The Israelites, empowered by God's strength, are able to conquer and overcome all dominions and authorities occupying the land that is promised to them by God. They're able to do that when they are completely dependent on the strength of Yahweh. Okay? That's important for us to understand. Israel is led by God to completely conquer and destroy cities occupying the promised land. And the Israelites defeat city after city, empowered by God's strength, and we're told that they leave no survivors. Kind of gnarly. Israel did, however, make a peace treaty with the people called the Hivites. But apart from them, everyone else, we're told, the language is completely destroyed. A couple weeks ago, if you remember, we talked about the nation of Israel being a nation of priests to bless other nations. Kind of weird, right? A nation of priests to bless the nations. Then like two weeks later, it's like they walked into the cities and they completely destroyed everybody who breathed. They brought them to the sword. They took their livestock, but every person they destroyed. It's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. What's the deal? What happened to the nation of priests that were designed, a holy people, God's special possession, that were to bless the nations? What happened to that? Seems kind of random. Seems kind of scary, honestly. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You told us you were a nation of priests to bless the nation, and now you're actually slaughtering nations. What's the deal? And I think it's important for us to ask that question. Why is it that God, who is attempting, or not attempting, his plan is to redeem back all of humanity from rebellion and violence and destruction, but it seems like the way that he's doing that is through violence and destruction. It's kind of an interesting thing, right? I don't know. It is to me. 
God has chosen as a special people, a holy nation, to redeem back all of humanity to himself. But then we read this gory and violent story of the Israelites conquering this group of people. Now, it's important to understand that God's design is to have a nation of priests to to bless the nation, meaning that there is a holy group of people that are undefiled by the influences of the world. That is what happens all the way back in the book of Genesis as we see them in the garden. Adam and Eve, they sin, and we see that God casts humanity out of the garden because they were influenced by the devil. Then we see it again as God sent a flood because humanity was influenced by the sons of God in Genesis 6. Then God scatters the people at at Babel because they were influenced by each other. Then God keeps uh, the Israelites in the wilderness because they were influenced by their own desires. See, God's uh, heart here is to keep the Israelites a holy nation that is uninfluenced by the people around them. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 10. It says, this will, talking about the conquering of the land, this will uh, prevent the people of the land from teaching you, speaking to the Israelites, to imitate their uh, detestable customs in the worship of their God, which cause you to sin deeply against the Lord. Super interesting. In Exodus chapter 34, we looked at it last week. Just bear with me, okay? You guys bored yet? No? You guys are just so enthralled that you're not breathing anymore. It's like, um, you know, grandma's like, food must be good. No one's talking. Is that? Okay. Genesis, or Exodus chapter 34, we're told that God, he reveals his character to Moses. And in it, we are told that God is gracious and he's long-suffering and he is abounding in loving kindness. But then we kind of get a, a, a weird one that we kind of slip over, that God is slow to anger. And God is slow to anger, meaning he is patient and he is long-suffering. But there is a point where the anger of God is reached. And that is what's happening here. At this point, God has endured with the people of the land of Canaan for hundreds and hundreds of years as they lived wickedly and unrighteously against the way of God. We're told that they, were, they would commit uh, human sacrifice to false gods. We're told that the, the place was riddled with sexual immorality. And we're also told that the people in Canaan uh, are, have some level of involvement with those sons of God or those, uh, the, the Nephilim that Nate talked about a couple weeks ago that uh, are the giants in the land. We're told that in Numbers 13. It's the reason why Israel was afraid to conquer the land in the first place. And God's heart is to redeem back all of humanity from their rebellion into relationship with him. And in order to do that, God needs to protect his chosen people from compromise, keeping them holy, so that his holy people can bring forth the Messiah. 
That's what we need to understand in this story. That the Canaanites are receiving the judgment of God because of their wickedness and their choice to to separate themselves from God and the things of God. This is showing what God does to eradicate sin and compromise. That's where I want us to land. God takes sin and compromise very seriously. Sin is the thing, the only thing that can separate us from God. In fact, we're told that sin, sin is a, people call it the great divide. It is, it is what divides us from relationship with God. Sin is what casted Adam and Eve out of perfect relationship in the garden. And we see that sin is what uh, is being judged by God for the Canaanites. And because God takes it very seriously, we should take it very seriously as well. But let's kind of put the pause button. I don't want us to look at this story and to see the, the wickedness of the Canaanites and the judgment that God puts upon the Canaanites because of their sin and wickedness, and for us to become afraid of God in an unnatural way or an unholy way, thinking that God is just waiting to just kill you or something if you mess up. That is not at all the story. God was patiently waiting for the Canaanites for hundreds and hundreds of years before his judgment was cast upon it, okay? So God is not just like, he doesn't have his hand over the like nuke button. God is patient, God is kind, and God is loving. What I want us to draw from this is how severe God deals with sin. And we're told that God, or by by the Israelites, God pours his judgment upon Cana, and that they completely destroy is the language that is used the Canaanites. We all deal with sin and uh, being imperfect. Maybe I'm the only one. Temptation and struggle. And there are things that we do that we wish we didn't do. And there are things that we have done that we wish we have not done them. I think all of us find ourselves in a place where the idea of sin or sinful behaviors weighs down on us, and it causes us to feel like we are fake Christians, we're putting on a front, or whatever it is, but I want us to kind of talk about sin in a real way tonight and talk about how we can overcome and conquer, what was the word I used? Compromise. That's my message title tonight. Conquering compromise. Point number one, conquering is only possible through obedience. Conquering is only possible through obedience. We see that in the case of Joshua, that Joshua did all that the Lord commanded to Moses, and what Moses commanded to Joshua, Joshua did. And then we're told again that Joshua did it. He left nothing 
undone of all that the Lord commanded to Moses. I think sometimes we think that conquering sin in our life is up to is a matter of us choosing to not do something anymore. But the way that we conquer sin is not by not doing, but it's, it's by doing what God has desired for us to do. Because if we view conquering sin as a matter of what we do not do, then the strength that we are relying on to overcome our sin is the strength of our own willpower, which always falls short. The strength that we need to rely on to conquer sin in our life is the strength of God that is empowering us to be obedient to his word. And we see in this story that God it takes very severe measures in driving sin out of the, the nation of Israel. And that is not only an Old Testament idea, but that's written about throughout the New Testament that there is to be severe measures taken by God's people to drive sin out of their lives. In James chapter 4 and verse 7, a famous verse, it says, Submit yourself to God, and we're told to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This idea of resist is to kind of stand firm and to push back of the things of God and instead to choose, or excuse me, the things of the enemy and instead choose the things of God. So we're to resist. We're to get in like a power stance and fight back. But in Mark chapter 9, Jesus takes it one step further. 9.43, he says, If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell. So gnarly. Sometimes Jesus says stuff and you're like, he knew that was good. It's like, cut off your hand. It's better to, uh, it's better to live life maimed than with two hands going to hell. You're like, holy smokes. Literally. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter your life crippled than with two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Jesus talks about the, the severity of what we need to do to keep ourselves away from sin. He says, if your, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And what do you think Jesus means by that? means if your hand's causing you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Like Jesus, I think, is being literal here. I'm serious. Like there are severe things that we need to do. Everyone comes to youth next week with one hand. I'm right there with you. Galatians 5, Paul kind of takes it one step further, talking about what we need to do to sin. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh flesh with its passion and desire. So here we see James, he says, resist. To get a power stance and to fight against. Jesus, he says, he says cut it off, remove it. It, it. Not only the sin, but the thing that is causing you to sin. So even before the action, cut off the thing that's causing you to sin. But Paul takes it one step further and he says to 
crucify the flesh. And what the flesh is in scripture, it's the part of you that desires, that has an actual desire to do things that are opposed to the things of God. I like to define it in Ephesians chapter 2, we're told that Christ has, we once were dead in our sin and Christ has made us alive I like to define the flesh as the part of our dead self that's still kind of scratching at the coffin. It's the part of our dead self that's still living. It's the part that we're wrestling with and we're fighting with that has these actual desires to do things that are opposed to the way of God. And and Paul writes that we should crucify the flesh. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that we should tell our flesh no. He doesn't even say that we should put our flesh to death. But what he says is very specific, to crucify the flesh. Crucifixion, it was a very painful and slow process of suffocation that would cause death. And I think Paul was being very specific here when he used that word, that the 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 way that we are to deal with sin is a long and slow process of suffocating the part of us that desires sin. We need to be serious and to deal with that of which causes us to sin because we, as God's holy people, like the Israelites, are called into holiness and a life free from influence and compromise. The problem with sin, however, is that it comes from both within and without. The interesting thing about the story of the Israelites conquering the promised land is that God is going and he is, conquer- he is driving out the outward influence of sin that would, would come upon the Israelites. However, the Israelites are still left with that internal desire that would cause them to give in to the influence in the first place. And I think sometimes we can, we can be very, um, I don't know, we can treat the influences very severely like we can, we can maybe pull ourselves away from certain people or we can put you know, blocks on our, our, our web pages and we can, we can block people's phone numbers or whatever and we can deal with the, the influence of sin but we're still left with what is within us that actually is causing us to give in to sin. The hard thing is that the more influential voice of sinfulness comes from within ourselves more so than what comes around us. Because we never give in to something that we have no desire to do, right? Like, I don't think, like, there's never, like, a plate of broccoli out at the Super Bowl party, and someone's like, oh, get these away from me. You know? It's like, I have no desire for this, but I'm just giving in. I'm just giving in. The, the problem is our desires. It's not only our influence. And so we need to be 
serious about addressing our own desires, not just what's happening around us. Because if we can address our sinful desires, we can actually be around influences and not be influenced. And we see that the Israelites, it's so interesting. They go in and they conquer all this land. They drive out all of these people. But then look at what Joshua says in Joshua chapter 24. This is at the very end of the book. Joshua has conquered a city after city. They have destroyed all of these, these military powers and driven people out of the land. And he is giving a call to the, the people of God, and he says this in Joshua 24, verse 14. Now, fear the Lord and serve, them, serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your ancestors uh, serve beyond the Euphrates or the god of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But look at this. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered and said, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land, who uh, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. It's this incredible declaration of the Israelites choosing God over the influences of the people around them. He says, if you have no desire to choose God, then go away and serve your God. And they're like, we're not going to do it. We're going to serve God, the one true God, because he's done all of this stuff for us. The book of Joshua ends, you flip the pages to the book of Judges, and the people have forsaken their God. It's tragic. The, the, the Israelites, throughout the book of Judges, they forsake God and they worship these other things, and they choose to worship the gods of their ancestors and the gods who are, were living in the land of Israel. But Joshua and that generation remain faithful to God. And so my second point is continual conquering is, is through a premeditated decision. Continual conquering is, is through a premeditated decision. I believe that when we are struggling with sin in our life, we tend to one of the great struggles and difficulty is the fact that we have overcome in the past, but we gave in this time. We have overcome in the past, but we gave in this time. We, we thought we were good. We thought we overcame. We thought we conquered. But here we are again. The temptation comes, and we give in this time. And when that happens, we now are dealing not only with the, the reality of dealing with sin and that, but there's also shame and there's other things that we'll place on ourselves because we, we think that 
well, those victories didn't matter because we lost this one. And here in the, the book of Joshua, Joshua is, is making a commitment to God no matter what happens in the future. It's this, it's this commitment outside of feeling tempted to do the right thing for God. Building a life of faithful and obe- faithful obedience to the way of God is built upon, upon a premeditated decision to choose God's way over ma- man's way, both external and internal. That Joshua, he makes this decision, I am going to serve the Lord. And if we want to see victory in our life, we need to choose to commit ourselves to following Jesus before the temptation comes. Sometimes we will leave it up for the moment where temptation for sin comes, and we're like, when that moment comes, I'll be able to say no. Like, when, when that happens, I'll be able to say no. But Joshua, he's saying with a sober mind that he is committed to the ways of God before the temptation comes. So, let's take... Uh, A second, I I wrote this stuff down. Here's some helpful tips on how I think you can overcome compromise in your life. Okay, I'm just going to give you a little play-by-play thing that that I wrote. Take an honest look at yourself and find your areas of influence. Take an honest look at yourself and find your areas of influence. What is the area that I have the strongest desire for sinful behavior? What is that area? What's my Achilles heel, if you will? Is it lust? Is it partying? Is it judgment? Is it just downright disobedience? What's my, what's my problem? What is it that causes me to be influenced? Now think physically, where am I where I feel the strongest desires for those things? Is it late at night? Is it with a certain crowd of people around me? Is it when my schedule looks a certain way, my walls tend to fall down? Now think, how can I make steps to crucify those things? Maybe it's putting your phone to sleep before you go to sleep. Highly recommend. Maybe it's choose and advance who you're going to hang out with at certain times of the day. And maybe it's carve out time in your busy schedule to be influenced by God through his word and through his people. And then this is important. What's my game plan when I inevitably lose a battle? Am I going to give up or am I going to keep going? Am I going to give up or am I going to keep going? Throughout the story of the book of Joshua, uh, God instructs the people of Joshua or of Israel to build these monuments when God does something in their life. They cross over the Jordan and God tells them to build a, a monument of 12 stones so that forever and ever people can look back and see this monument that the people of Israel built because God delivered them when, when they thought that they could not be delivered. And what we need to do is we need to hold on to the victories of life. And when we fail or when we fall or when we face difficulty and sin and temptation, we need to hold on to the victories that God has done in your life.